0: The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Well, the King is coming. That's what we're going to talk about today. and We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. and uh, We're kind of going to be all around, so get your notebooks out and uh, you can get some notes this morning. But today and starting over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some things about Christmas. John MacArthur, he tells the story of a little girl who came home from Sunday school triumphantly waving her paper, and she said, Mama, my teacher said I drew the most unusual Christmas picture she had ever seen. So she handed it to her mother. The mother studied the picture for a moment and concluded it was indeed very peculiar uh, for a Christmas picture, and she said, well, this is a wonderful drawing but what is all these people riding in the back of an airplane? And the mother kind of asked that, and and the little girl said, well, that's the flight into Egypt. And kind of disappointed a little bit that her her mother didn't recognize that uh, immediately, and the mother said, oh, uh, cautiously, well, uh, what's this person up in the front? And and she said, well, that's Pontius the pilot. And uh, the girl was visibly impatient and... The mother said, oh, I see. Well, I see here you have Mary and Joseph and the baby. And uh, as the mother volunteered that information, she studied the picture for a, a little longer, and she finally kind of summoned up the courage to say, uh, who is that fat man standing behind Mary? The little girl said with a sigh, can't you tell? That's round John Virgin back there. Uh the The truth is that the girls' mixed up with the perspective of, a, of christmas is is really not much more uh muddled than some of the notions the average person carries around christmas so uh we're going to look at a a little short clip about a minute long of of some ideals about Christmas and kind of what people uh associate Christmas with isn't that the truth sometimes uh this Jim Gaffigan, he's, he's a pretty clean comedian, he's really funny, he's got some interesting perspectives, but the truth is, <clears throat> what a lot of people associate Christmas with uh, is a product of some mixed up ideals, some mixture of pagan ideals and some, mist- uh, some myths and some legends and uh, <clears throat> kind of they're derived from cultures in the past. And if we just wanted to do a study on that, we could really dissect a lot of the things that we see around Christmas as just legends or myths or different things that's been uh, put together, and most of them are pagan ideals. And uh, the the only true, reliable source of information about Christmas is the Bible. And that's why we're going to look at the Bible this morning over in Isaiah chapter 9 and uh, over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to examine various aspects of, of the Christmas story. The Christmas story in the Bible begins much earlier than most people think about. Uh, hundreds of years uh, before Christ came, we, we start seeing the prophecy of the king. And over 300 Old Testament prophecies are, are in Scripture Uh, concerning the birth of the king. And we're told in those prophecies, these are all in the Old Testament. You know, when we read the New Testament and we see that, that Paul took the scriptures and he proclaimed Christ, well, he didn't have the New Testament. He had only the Old Testament. And, and uh, all the apostles, they didn't have the New Testament. Those were written by the apostles. Those were written by uh, in real time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And, and Paul wrote much of the New Testament. And, and he wrote of the things he taught and the things he, he spoke of. So when they came to someone and they began to proclaim Jesus Christ was the Savior, they always went to the Old Testament. And the the Old Testament was the the things that had been written by the prophets over the years so they were able to take that and they could through those prophecies they knew where he would be born the savior they knew what he would do they knew what he would say they knew how he would die And they knew how he would be raised from the dead. Now, uh, if you question Christianity sometimes, just simply take a rational look at Scripture 700 years before Christ was born. And the Bible can be proved historically, the, the time frame. Just take the time frame and think about what was written about Christ. And then take the New Testament and see how every prophecy was fulfilled the Bible says every jot and tittle, them, the smallest marks, every I was dotted, every T was crossed in prophecy. And and it's hard to say, well, I, I just can't believe what the Bible says about Christ because uh, over and over and over we can take uh, documents and study and study and study and, and realize that Christ has fulfilled all of those things. But out of all of those prophecies of the king, I think the centerpiece of the Old Testament prophecy Uh, concerning the coming king has to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to start in Isaiah 9, verse 2. And it says, The people were walking in darkness, and they seen of great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit in just a moment. And then in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness... From that time on and forever. Now, from that time on, remember, this is a prophecy about Christ. So so what Isaiah is saying is there's a a son will come, will be given. He, he's going to be called these things, and, and he's going to establish, and he's going to uh, have his kingdom. And from that time on, uh, he'll reign forever and forever. About 700 years before Jesus was born, it's when... Isaiah made this prophecy when he uh, when he introduced the coming king in the days of Isaiah, they were dark, and you can see that in that v- verse two there that there was darkness there, and the reason it was darkness is it was bleak for for the children of israel they were it was hopeless for them it seemed and and they were the nation of Israel had turned their back on God, and because the nation of Israel had turned their back on God, he had kind of turned their back on them to punish them. So he said, I'm going to bring another nation in called Assyria, and they're going to come, and, and that nation is going to sweep down upon you. And as they sweep down upon you, uh, they're going to wash you in vengeance. In other words, God is he's going to punish his people. So there was something Isaiah wor- in Isaiah's words as he spoke to these people. They're living those times. They're, they're As the word said, they're, they're walking in darkness. They're, they're living in the land of deep darkness. But all of a sudden, a light dawns because of Isaiah's words, the words he spoke. There was something in his message that brought hope. And I want us to think about our country today, and I want us to think about the hope that we see in the message of Christ. Because that's what the children of Israel said. They're, <clears throat> they're living in darkness. They're, they're living in times it seemed like there's no hope. But, but Isaiah's word came and he said there's going to be a son given. And that's going to be a reason for hope. Now many in, Jeru- in Isaiah's audience was not godly people. So they were walking in darkness. They were in the shadow of death because they had abandoned God. So they're not godly people. And it was this audience who walked in darkness that God gave this guarantee. Here's what he said. He said there's going to be a great light. There's going to be a child of hope and a child of promise and a future for the people. And he'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Now, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that's where we're going to be, and that's where we find this. There's four names that are given that, that describe the aspect of this new Savior is coming. And that's what those four names are, what we're going to talk about this morning. For unto us a child, a born, a child is born, <clears throat> a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And listen to his name. And we're going to talk about what these mean, these four things. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, And Prince of Peace. The first description we find here is he's going to be the wonderful counselor. Now, what is a counselor? It's somebody you listen to, isn't it? I mean any any anyone you accept advice from they, they're your counselor they're, they're someone that that's giving you advice and you're listening so you can say well that's the counselor whether well, the people will listen to advice of all kinds of counselors. think about that. I just listed some of the some of the uh, counselors that people listen to, Joyce Brothers or Dear Abby or Ann Landers, or Laura Schlesinger, they, those are some people that, that people listen to, and because they listen to, they take advice from Some other people listen to talk show hosts like Rush Limbaugh, or Sean Hannaday, Glenn Beck, Those those people are kind of counselors, they have a talk show, they're, they're giving their opinion on things, but, but people listen to them, and because they're listening to them, they begin to form their opinions. Some people listen to famous people like, like Oprah Winfrey or, or Dan Rather or, or Ellen Degenerate is what I call her. I mean, folks, po, folks listen to political experts. They listen to some quasi-religious leaders. They listen to comedians. They listen to actors. They, they listen to singers, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Because people listen to all different types of counselors. Now you may say, "Well, I don't, I don't consider them a counselor." You you may think, "Well, a counselor is someone that I'm going to go pay and and we're going to sit there in the office and and uh, I'm going to tell them something. And they're going to give me the answer. That's a counselor." No, that's really not true. Anyone you're listening to and you're forming an opinion around what they say, or they're directing you by what they say. They're they're your counselors, and, and sometimes a counselor gives you good advice, and sometimes a counselor gives you bad advice. And and when you when you listen to your counselor, uh whatever they're giving you, you're probably going to follow. Now that's what happened with Israel. They had gotten to the habit of taking some bad advice for some wrong counselors. And it sounds kind of familiar, but listen to Isaiah 8:19. Isaiah said, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? When the, the men of Israel were given bad advice, they were, they were seeking advice, they were seeking counsel, from all different sources of people and and they were using mediums and they were using spiritualists and they were they were using people that were said to be able to to communicate with the dead and and when that happens, apparently these men trusted enough those people they were going to enough that that they were taking them seriously and because they were consulting all of these wrong counselors, God said, "You know what?" Th- you 're going to suffer terribly because of this, and and I think that 's a, a good a good thing for us to think about. I think we need to be careful where we seek advice and what kind of counsel we listen to because that 's exactly how exactly how uh, uh, how Israel got into this situation and And we need to understand the counselors of this world, they can help you with some of your problems, but but they can only help with so much. by contrast. Jesus Christ, the, the wonderful counselor, he has the ability to help us deal with, with the root cause of all of our problems. That's what Christ can do. He, he can help us with the root cause of most of our problems. Now, now, what is the root cause of most of our problems? Sin. I mean, that, we already know that, don't we? Now, we can, we can go to certain counselors and they'd say, well, the, the root cause of your problem is your upbringing. It's the environment you lived in. It's your father wasn't there. Your mother wasn't there. They're, they can make all kinds of excuses. But the bottom line is the, the problem is sin. And that's what the root of most of our problems are. Matthew one twenty one. she, speaking of Mary, will give birth to a son. And you're given the name Jesus because why? He will save his people from their sins. He's the wonderful counselor. He's coming. He's going he's to he's fix the root of our problem today, and that's saving people from our sin. One of the repeated verses that Jesus uses over and over during his ministry was this, go and sin no more in John chapter 5, 14, and, and again in John chapter 8, 11. He, he said, go and sin no more. He recognized that that was, that was something the counselor, the wonderful counselor needed to give because that's the root of our problem, so we don't need to try to make it excuses for our sin. We don't need to try to rationalize our sin. Sin's not going to go away on its own. You know what we need to do with our sin? We need to stand up, deal with it, and confront it. I mean, that's really what we need to do. So, so as Isaiah says, there's going to be one to come, and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Jesus uh, issues an invitation for those who need a counselor, And listen to his invitation that that those... I need a counselor. I need someone to go to, to turn to, to, to get to the root of my problems. Jesus said this himself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here, listen, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only way we can deal effectively with our sin is to is to realize that only the wonderful counselor can help us through those things. He wasn't just a wonderful counselor. He, he wasn't just a great teacher, speaking of Christ. He wasn't just a good example. But Isaiah says he, he'll be the mighty God. Now, I just want to remind you, as I remind myself, he's talking to a group of people that, that are looking for hope. He's talking to a group of people that, that their nation is crumbling. And he says, I have someone that, that's going to help us. He's going to be our counselor that we can go to. And not only is he our counselor, he's our mighty God. Now, I think it's interesting sometimes because as Isaiah gave this message to the, the children of Israel, he wouldn't have been speaking like I am by any means. And he would have used a word that, that is, that's called gibo. He would have said he, he will be... A gebo, he will be this God, and that, that word means a strong or powerful, valiant warrior. So as he described the one who's coming to a people in bondage, to a people that's, that's held captive, he says this, this son will be given and he's going to be a powerful, valiant warrior for you. So the term mighty God actually is a military title that, that means someone who fights for you. So as, as Isaiah is describing the coming king, we're describing Christmas. We're thinking about uh, the, the birth of a savior. We're thinking about the birth of a baby. Isaiah said, there's going to be one who comes and he's going to fight for you. There's a, a couple of chapters before we, what we read this morning in Isaiah 7. We read this. Behold, this is Isaiah 7, 14. <clears throat> Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And then commenting on this, over in Matthew, he's commenting on Isaiah seven fourteen. He quotes about the virgin bearing a son. Then he explains. So he quotes this, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call him Emmanuel. And they'll call him Emmanuel, which means... God is with us. Isaiah's message was plain. The virgin was to give birth to a son. He would be known as God is with us. This child that was to be born, this son that was to be given, would be called the mighty God and an everlasting father. That's where we're going to move next into that everlasting Father. The New Testament, it reinforces this over in Luke chapter 135. it says this: The angel appeared to Mary and told her that she was to be with mother, uh, be a mother and of the Messiah. the Holy Spirit will come upon you, <clears throat> and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, and He'll be called the Son of God. So as the second description of this King that's coming, we're working up towards Christmas. We're working up to the, the birth of the Savior. Isaiah says there's, there's one coming, a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to be God living with us and God living with, in us. And here's the third thing. He'll be the everlasting Father. Now, let me just say a little side note. Are you with me this morning? When it gets warm in here, y'all may not think it's warm in here, but it's warm in here. We we kind of lose it sometimes. I even lose it sometimes. <clears throat> so this can be a little confusing. The everlasting Father, how can the Son be the Father? Well, uh, it gets into complex uh, uh, a doctrine of the trinity and we're not going to spend time talking about the trinity this morning but it's sufficient to say is jesus is not referred to in scripture as the everlasting father now god the father god the son and god the holy spirit they're all one deity in the trinity and like i say we're not going to spend a lot of time there but when isaiah talks about this everlasting father he's talking about his his father-like qualities that's what he's describing here. He is still God the Son, but, but his love and grace is like that of a father to his children. So again, we're talking to a people that's, that's, uh, that's held captive. He says there's one coming. He'll be given. He'll be uh, a wonderful counselor. He'll be the mighty God, and he'll be like a father dealing with his children. That, that name literally is the Father of Eternity. In other words... He is before, he is above, and he is beyond time. There's never been a name or a time that he was not. There's never been a day when he, he, he wasn't, and there'll never be a time that he'll not be. That's why he told Moses over in Genesis, when the people said, who sent me? He said, tell them, I am sent you. I, I am here, I will be here. I've always been here. Can I explain that? No. Can I fathom that? I really can't. But, but we believe it because God said it, and the Bible backs up over and over and over what Christ is and what God has said, and the, the prophecies that have been fulfilled, we can believe and we can know and we can understand. So we see that he says, I am has sent me the everlasting Father. Incidentally when I say He's always is and always will be, when we become a child of the kings, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you know what? We're going to live as long as he does. Amen? We're never going to die. The Bible says, hey, I've prepared a place. I'm the father of eternity. I'm the everlasting father. And when you become part of my family then we'll have that same same benefit that we have in Christ, and that's eternal life. The word means a producer or a generator. In other words, he is our source. He he has brought us into being. He sustains our life. And I remember going to vacation Bible school. We sang a song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Y'all remember that? Give me oil in my lamp. Y'all were sinners down on this end. I was up there. Uh, Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning for the Lord. The second word was give me gas in my Ford. Keep me trucking for the Lord. Well, it takes oil. It takes gas. It takes to sustain us for our lives to move. It takes power. And, and that's what God gives us. He is the sustainer. He is the source of our power. He is our everlasting Father. He, listen to the word again, He's a producer or the generator. He's the source of our strengths. For those individuals who struggle uh, with, a, with a father today, maybe a, a positive father image here on, the, uh, here on earth, listen to what Paul wrote. We're talking about a, an everlasting father, the father of eternity. Paul wrote this, I believe, for people who, who maybe struggle with that, uh, that not having a, a positive father figure. Here's what he says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, This is when we accept Christ. But you receive the spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I've told you many times that that term actually is Daddy. We cry out to, to one who's adopted us. We cry out, Abba, Father, that term of endearment, Dad. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if we're children of God, then we're heirs. And we're heirs of God. And we're joint heirs with Christ. Here's a Father that'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He'll never forsake us. Remember, this is true of only if you're a part of His family. If you're a part of God's family, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So He's not only the everlasting Father, but here, lastly, it says He's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, this this term literally means the Prince who's coming to bring peace. That's what that term means. The Prince who's coming to bring peace. Again, I want to remind you, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to us today, but, but Isaiah was talking directly to those who are in bondage. But there's one coming. See the hope that we see? There's one coming who's the the prince of peace, the one who's coming to to bring peace. And and this peace he brings will be to troubled hearts. There's there's about three things, and I'm going to be ready to close, and I'm going to be close to getting out of here on time. So here it is. First, what peace does he bring? He brings peace with God. See, it's impossible for us to have peace with God apart from Christ. And, and to think about what that, that means, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God offers peace to those who want it. Peace is a positive change in a relationship. The Bible teaches this. We can't put our finger... We don't have to. We can do this. We may not be able to put our finger on a specific sin that we would say, I need a Savior, I've sinned. We may be able to sit back, as I said earlier, some people justify and, and find all of these reasons. If you can say, you know what, I've thought back over my 10 years or my 80 years, and I, I really can't think of any great sin I've committed. Understand this, we inherited a sin nature. The Bible teaches that through Adam, the Bible says we're sons of Adam, so through Adam and Eve, we inherited sin. It's living within us. And when we inherited sin, the Bible says this, we became enemies of God. Well, isn't that tough? I mean, the Bible says we're, we're, we're enemies of God. And, and as Isaiah talked, he said, there's one who's going to bring peace. And he's going to bring reconciliation between us and God. In other words, there's a separation there. There's, there's a broken relationship there. And it was broken because of sin. And, and if we can't pinpoint a sin, it's simply broken because we have a, a spirit of sin. We have an old nature living with us that we inherited from Adam and Eve and all the way down the line. So, so that broken relationship needs to be mended. And, and there was only one way to mend it. And that was through Jesus Christ because he became our sin for us. He became the payment. He became our sacrifice. And and we see here, Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have grown astray. We've all turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord God has laid the iniquity, the sins of all of us upon Christ. So when Jesus Christ went to the grave, when he went to the cross, he, he paid the price. The, the Bible says there's got uh, to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ went to the cross, he shed his blood, that, the payment for sin. And, and when we come to God and we say, you know what, I realize I have a sinful nature, I realize I need a Savior, then God takes the blood of Jesus and he places it in our account and he has we have reconciliation because of that exchange. We have the, the the doctrine of justification which just as if I'd never sinned that's what that word justification means. Man's part is this we put our trust in Christ. We put our faith in Christ. We say okay I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you defeated death I believe that you rose again and and because of that I put my trust in you. That's our part. And then after our part God cleanses us through the blood of Jesus. He makes us righteous. He gives us that right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. For he himself, Ephesians 2.14 says, is our peace. And he has made us one. That that result of the Prince of Peace is, is we have peace with God. Here's the second thing. We have the peace not only with God, but we have a peace of God. Okay, we have a, a peace that we mended that relationship. That's what Jesus Christ, so he gave us peace with God when we accept him to become part of his family. And then we have the peace of God. You know what that means? That means he brings calm in the storms of life. We have sing some songs about that this morning. And in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of all of these things, Isaiah tells the people, "You know what? We're gonna this 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 Savior is gonna come. This King is gonna come, and He's gonna bring a calm in the midst of this storm." Philippians four seven says, "And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus." That that peace of God is is the sense of moment by moment we have trust in someone, our Father. Then John, it's recorded in John that he says, peace, this is Christ talking, he's talking to his disciples, he says, peace I leave to you, and my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you peace, so let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid, Jesus is talking about his, his impending death, and he's talking to his disciples, but he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you peace. It's going to be a scary time. It's going to be a disturbing time, but, but Jesus wanted them to understand you can have peace in the midst of your storm. And, and through Christ, we have that peace... Of God, we have that peace that God brings. in In the year 1863, you may say, "Well, how could that be relevant for us today?" America was in the middle of the Civil War, and and it was a tra- a tragic time for many families. But in the life of a certain poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, in 1861, Longfellow's wife Frances, or Fanny, as she was known, died from an accident in their home where she was using a candle. This is hard to imagine. And in using her candle or her clothing caught fire, and she died from that. And then in 1863, Longfellow's received word that his son had been critically wounded and crippled in the battle in the Civil War, and he was devastated. And finally, on Christmas Day in 1864, he wrote the poem Christmas Bells. You, You might not recognize that. Title Christmas Bells, but you might recognize the words. And here's what he wrote in the midst of the tragedy I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiars carol played, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. You can also understand his bitterness. When he wrote that next stanza, listen to what that next stanza said. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Isn't that the way some people feel right now? There's no peace on earth. There, there's no peace we have. There, there's no peace coming. But, but through that, somehow God brought him to, through that terrible time and, and until he could finally write this final stanza. And this is what it says. That 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 song that we first he heard the bells and, and they rang there and then then he realized in despair he bowed his head there was no peace for for hate was strong and and it mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men and then after God had dealt with him after he went through his pain he said then the bells they pealed more loud and deep that God's not dead nor does he sleep the wrong shall fail and the right prevail, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This peace on earth, this goodwill towards men, God God wasn't necessarily talking about peace between two people. He was talking about peace between himself and his creation, his people. That's what Christ and that's what Christmas is all about. It's not about a baby in a manger. It's not about all the things that we seem to celebrate sometimes, though there's nothing wrong in some of those things. What Christmas is all about is about peace with God. It's about that reconciling relationship. And here's the last thing. We have a peace from God. That peace from God helps us reconcile with one another. It helps us mend those relationships. The the most important part of this verse is for unto us. You know what? This gift of Christmas, this gift of Christ, it's for us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for those of us here today. And, And think about what it means for us today. If you're confused, he's a wonderful counselor. If you're weak, he's the mighty God. If you're scared, he is the everlasting father. And if you're disturbed, he is the prince of peace. Would you bow with me this morning? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. The prophecy of the king. The king is coming. There's hope. There's light. That's what we're going to look at the next few weeks as we approach that day, that, that birth of a Savior. I hope you'll find hope. I hope you'll find joy to the world, for the Lord has come. I hope you'll be able to say, you know, I, I understand. The, be, the bell's pealed loud and deep. God's not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Father, I pray this morning as we recognize, if we understand how your chosen people must have felt as they looked around in despair and they looked around in what seemed hopeless and helpless. And Father, there was an announcement made of a coming king. And the world should be upon his shoulder, and his kingdom will reign forever. And he's coming to bring hope and help and strength and reconciliation. Father, I pray that as we can get a glimpse of what the children of Israel must have felt, Lord, that we would know that we have that same promise today. We have the Savior. He's came. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is here today. He's living among his children. He's living within his children. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we'd have joy and we'd have strength and we'd have confidence in that truth. Lord, I pray today if there'd be any here that's never come to that point of saying, you know what, I, I have sinned and I, I realize I've, I've just inherited that nature and and I need forgiveness and I need the blood of Jesus to pay for my sins. And I want to put my faith in him. I pray today, Lord, would be the day of salvation. I pray, Lord, that we would turn our eyes upon you. Father, the things of earth would look strangely dim as we see your brightness, your glory, as we see your grace. Father, that we'd find hope, we'd find joy, and we'd find peace during this Christmas holiday season. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would move within us, that you'd move within our heart, and I pray this in the name of Jesus.